Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's January 31st, 1949, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. It lasted only four weeks on air, but NBC's These Are My Children, which premiered today in history in 1949, was groundbreaking, partly because it was written by a woman, partly because it was deliberately slow-paced so that housewives could answer the door whilst it was on and not miss a storyline, but mainly because it was on TV and not the radio, the world's first televised soap opera. Yeah, as the title implies, it was a family drama centering on Mrs. Henehan, an Irish widow running a boarding house in Chicago, and her three adult children. And most of the scenes took place in the same three-room set. And a contemporary article about the show in Pathfinder magazine gives us the tidbit that the title came from the creator, Irma Phillips' habit of saying when introducing her young son and daughter, these are my children, which I was like... Well, who wouldn't say that? I mean, that's exactly the same thing that you say. But the same article, I found this interesting. The same article also refers to viewers of the programme as lookers, which shows just how new all of this was. Yeah, the article says, Last week, television caught the dreaded disease of radio, soap operitis. Trade publication Variety found the show to be of no visual interest. But television soap operas, which were largely being created by women and for women, were soon attracting huge audiences and driving enormous network revenue. So despite the sniffiness of the critics, actually these couldn't be ignored because networks needed them. I mean, it was of no visual interest. Erna Phillips, the creator of These Are My Children and many more soap operas to come, which we'll get into, Mm. uh, said herself in her memoirs, quote, the major challenge for me in writing for television was to write scripts that called for action. For 19 years, I'd written scripts for actors who talked into a microphone. Now, scenes had to be written with a visual concept in mind. Television also brought another major change to the dramatic serial. It was now of paramount importance how actors looked. So, I mean, they were all experimenting. She was the queen of soap operas on the radio, but this new format of doing it on telly, they were experimenting as they went, and it was a bit of a low-paid experiment as well. You know, this was a woman who was earning a quarter of a million dollars a year writing for radio, but the budget for this, the actors were getting $20 per episode. Yeah, and they were performing it live as well. It doesn't seem like much compensation when you're performing a daily live 15-minute instalment with really the only options if they forgot lines were either to ad-lib or in a case of absolute desperation, the sound feed could be momentarily cut for a second so that the prompter could jump in and give them the next line. I mean, we can't, unfortunately, no episodes have survived. We've talked before about how much early TV has been lost. So we have to rely on reviews and they were pretty scathing. There was a good one in the New York Times from Jack Gould, who was pretty unsparing, not least in referring to NBC and Phillips as culprits. And his review opens with an observation that one unwelcome difference from radio soaps is, quote, you have to look at the thing. Uh, He goes on to call out a litany of flaws in the episode, which I think will still seem familiar to the modern 
TV viewer from stereotyped characters to stale tropes to painful expository dialogue. One element that viewers thankfully no longer have to suffer through, though, is the show's practice of writing key lines on blackboards off camera, as we mentioned it was live. Says Gould, the harried performers looked as though they were gazing off into the horizon, expecting a plane to come in on a three-point landing right in the middle of Mom Heenahan and all her troubles. More likely, though, that's next year's plot. <laughs> well, of course, they're the wrong kind of actors, aren't they? That's the thing, because, you know, if you took the radio actors and put them on telly, these were actors who would be used to literally having the script in front of them at all times, sometimes playing multiple characters, and no thought at all had been given to how they look, as we said earlier. If you took film actors, they wouldn't be willing to do it for the money that was on offer. And if you took, frankly, like model-turned actors, the kind of people that ended up in soap operas later, mm. who had been cast for their looks, they wouldn't have been able to compete in the live environment. So what you ended up with was stage actors who had never been on telly before. So mm. it's not a surprise that this was an odd-looking performance. I mean, it's funny that it attracted reviews that were saying that it was unbelievable or clunky, given that Erna Phillips herself was writing from her own true life and pretty much everything up until this point, she'd been doing the same thing because she'd been born into this large German-Jewish family in Chicago and faced, you know, early challenges, you'd call them, with her father's death at the age of eight, leaving her mother to raise ten children. Cue the plot of all of her soap operas from the very start up until this one. And she claimed that she'd been a lonely child and was given hand-me-down clothes and dolls and things and started making up long and involved stories for her dolls to then live out. So that was how she entertained herself. Yeah, she got pregnant at the age of 19. She was abandoned by her boyfriend, gave birth to a stillborn baby and then got into college and finally went from being a school teacher to trying her hand in the glamorous world of radio. So she really lived a life that was extremely fitting for a soap opera legend. And then she was in a coma and then ultimately came back to life. (laughs) (laughs) But her evil twin had married her husband. Right. Um, No, she'd been an aspiring actress herself, but then ended up working as a school teacher, but still had these dreams of somehow ending up in showbiz she actually then turned to radio and started out just volunteering working for free before then turning her attention to script writing and the first success that she had was this show Sue and Irene which she was basically just ad-libbing a bunch of characters alongside another actress Irene Wicker but then she came up with the idea that really made her Painted Dreams which was really heralded as the first ever soap opera The, the show we're talking about today was the first TV soap opera, but Painted Dreams was regarded as the first soap opera full stop. And then she went on to Today's Children between 1932 and 1936, which featured the first amnesia storyline ever in a soap opera, a staple now, Um, (laughs) and The Guiding Light in 1937, which featured the first illegitimate baby in a soap opera. Again, a bit of a staple now. The Guiding Light is fascinating because it really underscores her cynicism about television because she didn't stop transmitting it on the radio because she just wasn't convinced that it would take off on telly and she was simultaneously (laughs) transmitting episodes of Guiding Light on radio and TV in the 1950s but she needn't have feared because it didn't end its run on television until 2009 (laughs) it took 72 years (laughs) to tell that story (laughs) (laughs) at one point she was writing four soap operas at the same time a 1943 profile of Phillips, who was 47 at this time, noted that she dictates 
writes annually 2 million words, enough to fill 27 books. And she really had to keep going in the face of a lot of early initial scepticism from executives and sponsors, because radio dramas, you know, at the time when she started writing Painted Dreams, that was 1930, it was still fairly early days of radio, and dramas centering on the emotional lives of women just didn't exist. But it was such an instant hit that, you know, there was this realisation that, wow, there's this huge audience of women at home who want to listen to stories about the ordinary lives of women, or at least the relatively ordinary lives of women. And so Painted Dreams found a sponsor, initially it didn't have a sponsor because there was so much scepticism about the format. Procter & Gamble came in, and now this is important because the sponsors of this emerging genre naturally tended to be the kind of companies who are looking to sell things to housewives. Hence the term soap opera. Many of the early ones were sponsored by soap manufacturers. Yeah, the term before that had been horse operas that were sort of demeaning descriptions of budget westerns. And, uh, you know, it just works for the kind of genre we're in. But also, you know, despite the fact that she was writing these rough and ready shows for an audience that wasn't taken terribly seriously, she was very good at certain things that have remained kind of staples of the soap opera genre. You know, she became known for her trademark cliffhangers and the use of organ music to create moods, as well as crossover episodes where characters from one of her shows might appear on another show, thus linking them in, you know, a sort of Marvel extended universe type (laughs) of a thing, but way before Marvel was doing it. And she also really shunned sensationalism. She preferred to focus on kind of real life families and then talk about difficult subjects like adultery, adoption and divorce, these things that mainstream TV shows weren't really covering off. Yes, and that's the thing I think that people now are praising her role and what soap operas did for the kind of pop cultural conversation are finally getting their heads around. You know, the genre was dismissed for so many decades, often by men because it was created by women and for women and was a showcase for women writers and was in a domestic setting. And... Actually, what Phillips was doing right back then in the 1950s was dealing with social issues that other popular art wasn't. She used to write to charities and organisations and say, what is your problem and what can we do to help you with it on one of our programmes? And she Mm. would then take the issues that were affecting people that weren't being reported and put them in a highly relatable way into drama so that suddenly then people in very conservative parts of America, for example, would be encountering for the first time a dilemma about an illegitimate baby on their screens and relate to the people involved. The first British soap was actually made for American audiences. It was a radio serial called The Robinson Family, began airing in 1941, initially under the title Frontline Family. And it was made for broadcast in the US to increase sympathy for Britain's wartime plight. It followed a family in the UK and the things they were going through. It's a nice reversal given that I think Australia was pretty much making Neighbours and Home and Away exclusively for you lot. (laughs) (laughs) Tomorrow. Whereas wine, he said, exalts the will. Yes. You know, the thing I'm addicted to is good. Hash is bad. (laughs) Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.